It's episode 553 of the Locked On Texas Rangers podcast. The Rangers have some new signings, one major league signing to a multi-year deal, and a whole bunch of minor league invites. I'm going to get to why those are important, what's left on the boards, what the Rangers missed out on, and what they need to do next. All that and more on this episode of Locked On Rangers. Let's get into it. are Locked On Rangers, your daily Texas Rangers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On the Texas Rangers. I'm your host, Bryce Patrick, here in my fourth season entering with the Locked On Podcast Network, hosting this show, your team, every single day. Thank you guys so much for making Locked On Rangers your very first listen every single day. And if you're not already, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Bryce Patrick, follow the show at Locked On Rangers, and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. We are closing in on 600 subscribers on YouTube. Very excited. I'm pretty sure we're going to hit that by opening day. We got several weeks left until that but the rangers have a whole lot of new signings so i want to get into that who the rangers have signed and you know there's a lot of stuff to get into since i talked last talked on i believe tuesday was when the episode dropped but let's start with the first and only major league signing since the last episode rangers signed brad miller a veteran infielder to a two-year major league contract they also have a bunch of minor league invitations to their camp that they have sent out since the last According to this podcast. So let's just get into them. There's outfielder Jake Marisnik. There's left-handed pitcher Matt Moore, left-handed reliever Brandon Workman, right-handed reliever Greg Holland, right-handed reliever Dan Winkler, and of course the great Charlie Culberson. Yeah, there's a lot of these non-roster invitees. The, the roster with, with Brad Miller, that basically signifies it's set. That is what it is. And it, it's seeming like Brad Miller is probably going to be platooning. That's what it seems like it's going to be with the big question marks right now, which stand at left field and third base. And well, I guess you probably could say right field, but with, with this contract, unless they sign, do something crazy, like sign one of these big remaining free agents, I'm pretty sure right field is going to be Adolis Garcia and center field is going to be Leody Tavares. And that's just what it's going to be for probably this year and next year. It's looking like at this point with the way things are shaking out. But let's get into a little bit of who Brad Miller is. He last played for the... F- Philadelphia Phillies about to say the Philadelphia Twins for some stupid reason but no he is a left-handed veteran utility guy he's played basically everywhere the most games that he's played has been at shortstop but he has experience playing basically every single position second base shortstop first base outfield left right center and third base now he's only played 49 games at third base which of the infield spots is where he's played the least he has 378 games at shortstop. He also has 183 at second, 133 at first base, and yes, 49 at third base. But that's probably where he's going to be because first base, lockdown, second base, shortstop. All of those are pretty well locked down by the incumbent starters or the big signees the last few years. So what does he do? He, he hits righties. He hits righties pretty well, and he's done that basically for his entire career. Last year, he did that very, very well. But for his entire career, he's got a 780 OPS in 2,500 plate appearances against right-handed pitchers, and in 718 plate appearances against lefties, he's got a 610 OPS. So that's a 170-point swing, I should say. Last year, it was just even more drastic. Last year, he had an 842 OPS against right-handed pitchers in 297 plate appearances, only 80 plate appearances against 
left-handed pitchers where he had a 538 OPS. So that is a 304 point difference in OPS. In those 297 plate appearances, the guys had 842 OPS. We also had 16 home runs, three triples, eight doubles, a 354 on base percentage. So he is pretty much going to be the guy who crushes right-handed pitching, whereas Andy Ibanez is likely going to be the one who is crushing the left-handed pitching because his splits were also pretty drastic last year. I didn't realize it until I went more into the numbers. I knew he was a little bit better against lefties. I didn't realize to what degree. But last year in 42 games, 97 plate appearances against lefties, he had an 898 OPS versus righties, a 674 OPS. So that's over a 224-point swing. Three home runs in that span had a slash line against lefties. It wasn't just like the slugging or the on-base. It was the everything. He had a batting average of 344 against lefties, a on-base of 371, and slugged 527 versus righties. He had a 238 batting average, 293 on base, 381 slugging percentage. So he still could slug a little bit against righties, but man, those numbers are just very, very drastic. And so it makes sense for him to be a one-year deal, a one-year platoon, because as we all know, Josh Young is coming. He is going to be up next year praying for health, praying for health that he gets through all of this stuff, all this shoulder injury. He's probably going to be back some point to DH towards the back half of the season, maybe the middle of August. Maybe he comes up and makes a major league cup of coffee. But at this point, we know neither of those guys, Brad Miller or Andy Ibanez, is going to be the starting third baseman next year, assuming, assuming that Josh Young is healthy, which he probably should be. He hasn't had a whole lot of career injuries. So I'm hoping this is just a one-off thing. He can come back, heal, get right, and absolutely mash when the Rangers ready to contend opening day in 2023. Now, let's look quickly at some of these other guys that we have. We have Jake Marisnik, who is uh, several years for, uh, I guess I mostly know him as a member of the Houston Astros. He did start his career in Miami, 40 games there in 2013, 14, and 2014. But the only place that he's played more than 100 games in a season is in Houston. He was there from 2015 all the way to 2019. So he allegedly won a ring when they did in 2017. Still not sure about that. But last year, he spent time with Chicago, 65 games there before being, I believe, cut with after 144 plate appearances, then played 34 games in the season with the San Diego Padres, 54 plate appearances. So not really a whole lot of starts for him mainly just a whole lot of off-the-bench defensive replacement, which that's what he is. He is a center fielder who provides a whole lot of defensive value, not a whole lot of offensive value. His best offensive year, he had an 815 OPS, just kind of out of nowhere in 106 games with Houston in 2017. Huh, that seems to be right around the time where, where Houston was was getting busted for, for stealing signals. Interesting, interesting. I, I'm sure there's no correlation there. But for the rest of his career, he has a 665 OPS, so really not a big offensive threat pretty much at all but really not a big offensive threat at all in the last 34 games of the season with san diego he only had a 472 ops there he did have a 731 ops in the 65 games with the cubs i'm not really sure why they cut him it's not like the cubs were doing anything last year and he was you know fine he's gonna be 31 this year plays a lot of outfield i i, I don't see why they brought him in they've got plenty of guys like this they've got eli white they've got leo Tavares, who brings i would say more offensive value and is younger and well i don't know if he's cheap they're probably both going to make the minimum this year so i don't know we'll see it, it's a really a low risk low nothing the one that i really don't get and i'm kind of annoyed with is matt moore you might remember matt moore from his very forgettable stint in 2018 with the texas rangers had 
pitching in 39 games, 102 innings, had a 679 ERA. Yeah. And you'd think, oh, well, you surely would have been like out of the big leagues by then. Well, no, Detroit had him pitched in a couple of games, didn't pitch in 2020, then 2021 came back and was with the Phillies. And for some reason, was still in the rotation at the end of the year because he did not do well. Uh, 30, 73 innings, 73 innings for them last year, a 629 ERA. It's just, I don't understand why they thought this is the guy that we need to bring in. There's still a few options that I'm going to get to who is available. But I just, I really, you already have Colby Allard, who is a much better, younger, and you know, less maddening version of Matt Moore. I just, I really, I really don't get this one other than maybe you want some AAA depth. Like that is the only reason this makes even a little bit of sense. You also have Brandon Workman, who is an Arlington, Texas native, went to Arlington uh, Bowie High School, graduated from the University of Texas at Austin, has won two World Series. One of those, I believe, was with Boston and the other was... Maybe both of those were just with Boston. Yeah, because he was with Boston from 2013 all the way to 2020. Also spent a little bit of this year, spent some time in Philly in the back half of 2020, began the season with the Cubs, then ended the season in Boston. It's just a fine lefty reliever. I don't know, might make the end of the bullpen worth a look, local kid. Sure, fine. Nothing that spectacular. There's also Greg Holland with Rangers sign, who is... A World Series winner, a multi-time All-Star, three-time All-Star, actually 2013, 14, and 2017. Last year, he was with the Royals. Not a great season, but he was great in 2020. He's been kind of bouncing around between either having a great season or a terrible season. So the Rangers betting on, all right, let's give him a minor league invite. He was so good as a reliever in his peak in 2013 and 14 that he finished top 10 in Cy Young voting. He even finished top 16 in MVP voting as a reliever. It was some incredible stuff what he was doing. I mean, 2013, he had a 121 ERA in 67 innings and 103 strikeouts. The next year, his next All-Star season at age 28, he had a 144 ERA in 62 and a third innings with 90 strikeouts. Guy was just unreal. Unreal and unhittable. He was also an All-Star in 2017 with the Colorado Rockies. Last year with Kansas City, had a 485 ERA in 57 games, just under 56 innings. was fine and the year before in 2020 28 games 28 and 30 innings a 191 era so real hit or miss with this guy so the rangers are taking a buy low see if this guy still has anything left also another guy they have the last one is dan wiegler has spent the last two seasons with the cubs was fine he's a fine reliever okay right-handed nothing too special about him whoop-de-doo that's about my feeling on Dan Winkler. But we're going to look at who is left, who the Rangers missed out on. There's been a lot of signings since I did the last podcast, and I'm going to look at who the Rangers should have wanted, who the Rangers maybe didn't want, and what's left and what all they have left to do. But first, I want to tell you guys about this book written by Tim Tebow. It is called Mission Possible. Are you ready to discover your purpose and leave an impact wherever you go? Mission Possible Written and read by New York Times best-selling author and athlete Tim Tebow encourages encourages you to find your inspiration, pursue your passion, and create a light for yourself that counts. Ignite a new spark in your life through this new inspirational lesson. Mission Possible by Tim Tebow is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Now, there has been a lot of signings since the Rangers last 
since I last recorded this podcast. In case you've missed all of them, you've just not been on Twitter.com. First off, I applaud you on your, you know, self-care. Taking care of yourself Twitter.com is a bit of a mess. But if you're on there, you might as well follow me at Bryce Patrick. Follow the show at Locked On Rangers. But if you're not on there and you have missed out on all that's going on, or you've been so enthralled with March Madness or some of the other sports that's been going on, I'll fill you in. I don't even mind. I don't even mind. But the primary outfield target that I wanted from the start of this offseason, Say Suzuki, is gone. Off the board, there was a report that he was signing with the Padres. That turned out to be false. He poked some good fun at it on his Instagram account. There also reports that he allegedly wanted to be in a warm climate, which unless he doesn't understand what a warm climate is, then that was false because Chicago is not what I would call a a warm climate at all. So he signed a five-year deal with the Cubs. It's really frustrating. I, I think it would have been really important to get him. He could have been a huge offensive impact on this team for years to come, not only now, which would, I, th- I think this would have been a really great position for him. The Rangers obviously had a pretty good experience. At least the Ranger front office of the team had a pretty good experience with you, Darvish, and bringing him in. And they also had a pretty good experience with Shinsu Chu, bringing him in and, you know, treating Asian players well and, and knowing what it takes to get them. They were obviously pretty high on the last two big Asian signings that came over in um, in Shohei Otani and also Ha Sung Kim. I wanted both of them. I got neither of them. It's fine. I'm actually not fine. I'm, I'm more fine with how Kim turned out. Better defender than I thought. But, gosh, the Raiders signed. Ah, the Rangers signed Otani. That would have been absolutely amazing. But I think that's a huge loss for them. Kyle Schwarber, some people were wanting Kyle Schwarber. I, I did not because the DH position is already pretty well locked down at this point, I'd say, by Willie Calhoun or Cole Calhoun, whichever Calhoun, Calhoun you think has worse defense. Schwarber signed a four-year deal with the Phillies, which I was mistaken. He was not there before. I was thinking, but I got I got them and the Nationals confused. All those NLS teams, NL, NL East teams that wear red kind of confused me. I also wanted Eddie Rosario. Now world champion, but no, makes sense. He's going back to the Braves. He had a pretty good stint there, signing a two-year deal to go back to them. Freddie Freeman, it looked like the Rangers might kick the tires on him once they missed out on Seiya Suzuki, and they also missed out on Clayton Kershaw. But no, he signed a six-year deal to go to the Dodgers, which I think is higher and higher average annual value than Matt Olson's extension with the Braves, which very confusing. I think it also might be higher average annual value. Um, Matt Olson's extension might be. I don't know. I'm just very confused by the the Braves just not completely backing up the Brinks truck for their homegrown star that literally just won a World Series with them. Really makes absolutely no sense to me. But, you know, now the Dodgers are going to be even better. So uh, sucks to suck if you're in the NL West. But they also missed out on Zach Greinke, one of the better remaining pitching options. He signed a one-year deal with the Royals, which... Good for him going home. Looks like the Royals might actually be contending this year. I'm not really sure what the heck's going on there. They made some confusing moves, but it looks like it might be some good moves. Anyway, Kershaw also signed a one-year deal to go back to the Dodgers. Matthew Boyd is also gone. Yusei Kikuchi also gone. Trade targets. Sonny Gray has been traded to the Twin, so that's not happening. Of The Mets has have traded for Chris Bassett from the A's. There are still a couple of guys that are on the market, and you know I'm going to get into... Walls left because the Rangers still have a couple of things to do. It it really hurts missing out on quite a few of these guys. There are still some options that I'm gonna get into what those are and why the Rangers need them now as opposed to waiting for later to sign some of these big 
position players. But first, I want to talk to you guys about Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Large are often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait for the person behind the counter orders parts on the computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have access to with computers to computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why do you spend up to 30, 50, even 100% more on the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? What are you doing? You just got to go to rockauto.com. They're a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every single customer. They've got everything that you need. So go explore their easy-to-use website today and find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-to-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Now, what do the Rangers need? At this point, it looks like their rotation is pretty much set. They feel comfortable with what they're going with. They have Spencer Howard at the one. They have probably Dane Dunning at the two, Martin Perez at three. Then they have Taylor Hearn in the four spot and Spencer Howard in the five spot. Now, that's all well and good and whatever, but... There's still a part of me that thinks, you know, Taylor Hearn hasn't pitched over 100 innings in many, many years. Same with Spencer Howard. I don't know that Spencer Howard ever has in his professional career. And I'm not sure he even did it in college. So that guy needs to build up some arm strength. We saw what they did with Dane Dunning last year, who was coming off, obviously, a shortened season in 2020 and was coming off an arm injury even before that. So they were really careful with him. They didn't let him pitch. Too many innings. I think he only went 120-ish innings. Hold on, I have this right here. 117 and two-thirds innings. So not even 120 innings. They were very, very careful with him. But he was able to be very efficient and go deeper into games. That's something that as much as I like Spencer Howard, I like his potential, he hasn't been able to do. And that is all of what 2021 is going to be about for him. And Taylor Hearn, who did very well in his spot as a starter, kind of fell off towards the... End of the season, his last couple of starts, he was really, really good in his first five, six-ish starts. But in the final couple of starts, I, again, I think he showed that his arm was tired. He hasn't pitched that many innings, even in the big leagues at all. Last year in 2020, he pitched only 17 and a third innings. In 2019, he only pitched a third of an inning at the big league level. And in the minors, let's see, when was the last time that he threw 120 innings? He only did it once, and that was in 2018. That was between... Went in the season where he got traded from Pittsburgh to the Rangers, pitched all the way from rookie ball to high A to double A, and even a little, actually, no, 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 scratch that. Mainly just double A, just double A that season. I'm confusing and combining the other two seasons. But he had 24 starts that year, 129 innings, but he hasn't done it since 2018. So that will be four years ago. So he still needs to build up that arm strength. And again, I said that he only pitched in 17 and a third innings. That was the only innings that he pitched in 2020. In 2019, he did have a few starts before he made his major league debut. 2019, he had four starts at the minor league level, pitched 20 innings, so averaged five innings per start there. Then it came up through his one-third of an inning and the worst major league debut I've ever seen, and then got hurt for the rest of the season, did not pitch again. So he really doesn't have that many innings at all. He did pitch 100 innings this last year, credit to him, but I think... They're going to want him around maybe 120-ish innings next year. It's different throwing all those games out of the bullpen versus starting. I mean, he had 11 starts last year and 31 games out of the bullpen. So he did pitch pretty efficiently 
when he was doing it. But I, I think they're going to be really careful on his pitch count like they were towards the end of last year when he actually was starting. He was going deep into games because he was being efficient. But again, I do think they're probably going to need one more starter. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do a little bit of a combination thing with Spencer Howard and Taylor Hearn. I'm not sure that they will, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did because at this point, I don't know how much you can count on Spencer Howard to go deep into games because Howard really has not gone deep into games at all. And I think the Rangers are really banking on that. He only has, let's see, last year he pitched just under 50 innings at the major league level, literally one out shy of 50 innings. And he also had, let's see, 23, yeah, 23 and two thirds innings at the minor league level. He has pitched 100 innings in a season before. I should correct myself there. He had 23 starts and 112 innings at the high A level in 2018 with Philly. So he has done it before. He did have 70 innings the year after that. So this year he was right around 73, 74 innings. I don't know. My math off the top of my head is not necessarily super great, but I I think that's about the amount of innings that he was at last year. So if he can get to 100 innings this year, I think that's a win. And if you can feel comfortable about him keeping his velocity going deep into games, you might have to scratch him quite a bit. So maybe having another guy like Colby Allard there, I think there's going to be a lot of combo-ish starts with him. And Colby Allard, he showed that he could do that pretty well. As a starter, I didn't like what I saw from him. But out of the bullpen, I really liked what I saw from him. And him being kind of a tandem-ish starter with him, I think that might be a really, really great role because you have the, the lineups all you know, slated with a bunch of lefties getting ready to mash Spencer Howard at righty. And then you throw out, throw him out there for, he goes maybe three, four innings. That'd be great. And then you pull in Colby Howard and you get some of those mismatches, the guys who are not necessarily used to facing a whole bunch of lefties and either have to sub out their starters or, you know, they just are worse. So this team needs third baseman for this year. I think this platoon will work for now. Josh Young obviously is the long-term answer and that's good. But right now, I think there's some big questions in the corner outfield, especially in left field. Unless you want to put Willie Calhoun there, which I, th- I think just long-term you slot him in as a DH unless you go and sign one of these guys. But but who else left? If you want to add another starter, there's not a whole lot of options. There are some trade options. You could trade for Luis Castillo. I was duped into thinking that Luis Castillo was going to the Angels. That's not happening. The Reds are saying that they're going to keep him even after trading all of their trade, literally like all of their trade chips besides him and Tyler Malley and the rookie of the year, Jonathan India, which they're not going to trade him even if you are rebuilding. You don't trade a rookie of the year. That just doesn't make any freaking sense. But nothing the Reds are doing is really making sense. They also made a trade for Mike Minor, which is really confusing. But they do still have two starters in Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley available. If you want to go get one of those guys, I wouldn't blame the Rangers for doing it. It just depends, again, on what the prospect hall. I feel the same way about Luis Castillo as I do about Matt Olson, because it's a little bit bigger of an upgrade. But I think right now, the number two, if you got Dane Dunning as number two, and I was talking with Grant, and Grant thinks that long-term a three is is Dunning's upside. That's his his high ceiling. I, I think that's about where I think he's going to be. I don't really see much of a scenario where he's going to be a number two in your rotation. Obviously, long-term, probably number one in your rotation is going to be Jack Leiter. And when you're contending in 2023, Maybe the back half of there, you're going to have Jack Leiter in there. And I don't know that Leiter's going to be ready to be a number one in 2023, but he's probably going to be ready to be up. But in 2024, which is a more, you know, kind of reasonable contention, your rotation is probably going to look something like, at this point, Leiter might be ready to be the number one then. Then you'll have John Gray. You'll also have Cole Wynn. And 
Dane Dunning and some combination of whatever's left for those final two spots. But there's not a whole big need for that. But if you wanted to feel better about the contention in 2023, then having, you know, having John Gray as your number one, I, I'd feel pretty decent about that. But you have a one-two of John Gray and uh, Luis Castillo. I'd feel much better about that. I don't think the Rangers are going to be super in on Frankie Montas. I think the asking price is going to be pretty high because that's basically the last trade ship one of the last trade chips that the A's have to play. They've already dealt Matt Olson. They also dealt Matt Chapman to Toronto. But at this point, I think that asking price can be pretty high. It might be high with the Reds. I don't know. The Reds don't know what they're doing. And I think the Rangers should go and take advantage of that and go get either Tyler Malley or Luis Castillo because I really, really like them. But if it is going to cost Colwyn, like I said when I was talking about trading for Matt Olson, I don't think that that's necessarily worth it because that guy is going to be very crucial. You can... He's very dependable. And of these these prospects that are going to be coming up or these young starting pitchers, the guys who I feel really, really confident in locking down a long-term job are Dane Dunning, probably back of the rotation, Cole Wynn, somewhere in the middle of the rotation, and Jack Leiter, probably at the top of the rotation. But those are, even them, they, there's still a possibility they could not turn out to be what you think. And even Cole Wynn's highest ceiling is probably a number two starter if things go really 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 well for him i don't think it's gonna be worse than a number three or four starter but if things go really well i don't see the ceiling as somewhere near what jack Leiter can be so castillo has a higher ceiling and if you want to feel better about this rotation while you're contending i think that is a trade that makes sense but the corner outfield i, I think the, the reason that i'm so bummed about say suzuki is i think he would have really bridged that gap because there's not a whole lot of a free agent people a lot of big free agent bats that are available after the 2023 season there's basically just joey gallo and at this point aaron judge which i don't think he's going to be available then if he is then the yankees are going to do everything in their power to pay him they absolutely have to they cannot afford to lose him he is the face of the yankees right now one of the most remarkable players in baseball and while i like joey gallo and i think that he's better and i would like the Rangers to go get him more i think that the yankees are going to prioritize him and that's going to let Joey Gallo walk in free agency but he's going to be the big bat and the Rangers are going to have to pony up a whole whole bunch of money to sign him there are quite a few rotation spots that could be filled with the class over there that if you don't want to trade for Luis Castillo um, but again I don't think that it's necessarily worth it if you have to give up one of those top prospects but at this point in the corner outfield I don't know how good you feel about about Adoles Garcia. There's really not a whole lot of help coming from the farm in terms of the outfield and what's going on there. But the Rangers really need at least one huge outfield bat. And unless you feel really confident in Adoles Garcia being that close to what he was doing in the first month of his major league season, then I really think that you need to go sign some big outfield bat. But anyway, all that to say, who's left? There are there are a few guys that are left. I mean, Nelson Cruz has gone to the Nationals, which I would have really loved that. I would have really loved a Nelson Cruz reunion. But at this point, there's basically two big names that I think the Rangers are even considering. One a little bit harder than the other. But the first is Nick Castellanos, who had a great season last year, but is going to have some really, really big contract demands. I think that might be what pushes the Rangers out of it. He's basically a DH at this point. He's basically a DH. And... You know, he's a right-handed hitter, so you're not going to platoon him at the DH with Willie Cahoon, especially with what you're going to pay him. I don't think you'd have to because he's a really, really huge offensive force, and I think that would make this lineup 
immediately one of the better lineups in the American League West. I think that might vault them into the top two. Not exactly sure about that, but it would really get them pretty close if they signed Nick Castellanos. But I don't think they should. And I don't think that they will. The other is Michael Conforto, who had a bit of a down year last year, who is a guy who I have had my eye on. Still can't really believe that the Mets let him go, but Conforto had a pretty solid major league career. I want to say that he's been an all-star. Yes, in 2017, he had an all-star season, a 939 OPS that year. Last year did have a down year. I was remembering that correctly. 125 games, a 729 OPS, which was just a little bit above his career low, which was back in 2016, his first season where he played over 100 games. In 2020, he had a really great season, a 927 OPS and an 856 OPS before that. He has been fairly solid. He can play the outfield. He's not an elite defender, but by no means is he anywhere near what Nick Castellanos is. At at this point, Baseball Reference projects him to have a 793 OPS next year, 353 on base percentage, 19 home runs, which I think will be solid. I would feel pretty good about that. I feel better about that than Cole Calhoun. I still don't really get the Cole Calhoun signing. I think it was more of a hedging your bets kind of a thing, which that makes a little more sense just to have some veteran presence because right now, before some of these veteran signings, the Rangers didn't have a huge veteran presence. It was basically just like Marcus Simeon and I guess Corey Seager kind of at this point, but he still feels like a little bit of a young player. He's obviously going to have a huge, huge role to bear now with a huge contract, huge expectations, but he's not as much of a big vocal leader who has been around a long, long time. And I think Cole Calhoun might have been a little bit of that kind of a signing. But I think Michael Conforto is a signing that would make a lot of sense and would make me feel a little bit better about the Rangers' future because in the next couple of years, there are some top guys that I have as outfield prospects, but unless you're going to switch Ezekiel Duran to a corner outfield or maybe a center field, then the Rangers, what they're going to get from their offense in the outfield is a little questionable for the next couple of years. And I think you can't really contend if you don't have at least one big bat in your outfield. And as much as I love the Odie, I don't think he's going to be that. As much as I love Adolis, I'm not sure he can be counted on that at this point. You can bet so much on that. But and Cole Cajon, I really don't think is going to provide that. He is just more veteran presence slash, you know, platoon. But at this point, I think the left field is going to be Cole Calhoun in left field platooning with Nick Solak. So Nick Solak is going to hit against the lefties and Cole Calhoun is going to hit against the righties because both their splits are pretty dramatic. Assuming that Nick Solak even, you know, stays on the major league roster this year because I think there's some real question about that. Hoping the new hitting coaches can, you know, make him anywhere close to what the Rangers thought they would be getting in him when they traded for him from Tampa Bay. But again, at this point, I think left field and third base are going to be platoon. I'm not sure the Rangers have any more moves to make at pitcher. There's really not any starting pitchers that I feel super great about trading for. I mean, there is Michael Pineda, who's 33, Tyler Anderson, who's 32, Danny Duffy, who's 33. If you really want to go get somebody, I don't know. Maybe Zach Davies, who is 29, had a one and a half four season last year. Maybe that's a guy you think about, but still, I don't feel super duper great about that. But again, if you are intent on giving both those guys who have not had a huge innings workload in Spencer Howard and Taylor Hearn their own starting spot in the rotation and seeing where that goes from there, I totally get it. And that's something that you should commit to. This year is about getting to about 500. Get close to 500, and that's the goal you've had a successful season. But again, I think it's really important to see how those guys do if you can believe in them as long-term starters, especially long-term starters on a rotation that is in contention. But that's going to do it for today's episode. I think I might be back tomorrow. It depends on some other stuff. But at the very least, 
Next week, I will be back with five episodes a week. We have some minor league games that are happening. We have a March Madness, all kinds of great sports stuff. This is a great, great time to be a sports fan. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Rangers. And until next time, don't forget to enjoy baseball. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.